I love movies. Gosh, I love movies. And here we go. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the Greenhouse Podcast with Dave and Matt. And Matt, we have had, we have a, it's been, it's been a busy week and it's going to be a busy month coming up. That's right. I've got a wedding coming up next month and uh, that does tend to keep you pretty busy, it turns out. So uh, you will not be on the show next week. No. And at the end of February. That's right. Yeah. Next week I have a bachelor party weekend and the end of February is the uh, wedding itself. So I'll be, um, I'll be away. We'll be live podcasting from the uh, altar. <laughs> sure. Yeah. If you want to get your cell phone out and just kind of stand up think, there and. Yeah. You think your lady will be okay with that? Like, uh, you know, at, as you're saying your vows, you just also sort of chime in on your opinion on a good horror film or. Yeah, I think that could be or like top 10 wedding movies. We could do a lot of things with it. Uh, I'll talk to Ramona about it. I'm sure she'll be open to the idea. Like maybe maybe instead of doing like a toast, I could just uh, we could just do the podcast. We did live podcast from Matt's wedding. Yeah. I Yeah, that'd be fine. I mean, <laughs> uh, at this point, um the, well, I think it, this could be what we need because the podcast is not a huge part of my life at this moment. But yeah, if we include it in the wedding, I you. mean, it's going to be like, that's it. Like that's commitment. And that's what, you know, that's what the women like. Drive. They like commitment. So that's right. I, think I would show that's her right. that I'm, you know, I'm a committed man and I mean what I say and uh, that my podcast is a symbol for uh, our love um, in some way. Or uh, something like that. Way. Huh? Very tusky, a very Tuskian way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I don't think it would give her any alarm about uh my relationship with you. Uh, like she she wouldn't be too concerned that for some reason Dave is now a part of our wedding ceremony. That's right. A, it's natural. Yeah. Just go with it in a weird non traditional way. Yeah. She. Yeah. <laughs> well, aside from your, aside from you committing. And uh, and sharing your wedding vows with all the world to hear, uh, I will be driving down to Georgia. I'll be in Atlanta for the next three months, doing a series which I'll talk about later after it's done, probably. Oh my goodness! Um, Should we do like a Dave went down to Georgia kind of thing, man? I would think I was thinking for those of you who don't follow me on the Twitter at Dave Oscuro, like I might do sort of a little. Uh, you know, I'm, I'll have Jude, friend of the show, with me. And we might do some uh, Devil Went Down to Georgia, hashtag Devil Went Down to Georgia content along the way. We have a, a couple of movie-related things we're going to see on the drive, hopefully, and um, who knows what kind of shenanigans we'll get into. So yeah. something to, be, to keep a lookout for. If you don't follow me on Twitter, check it there. I'll probably post there, maybe maybe on the Instagram as well. I guess uh, is a, is that a Crossroads song, Devil Went Down to Georgia? The Devil Went Down to Georgia. He was looking for a soul to steal. And okay, yeah. no, no, I'm sorry. I'm confusing a couple of uh, f- like music lore things. It's not a Crossroads thing where you could like, while you're there, you could go visit the Crossroads and sell your soul to become the best podcaster ever. Uh, I don't think it's that case. This is more like the devil would, um, he, he would show up and you and Jude would have to, uh, out podcast him. That's right. Yeah. Or otherwise he it, gets it, your soul. And then if you win, you get like a golden, uh, microphone, like a really nice one, like one of those yes. badass Sony jobs. Yes. It will be the, it will be called the, the golden pod 
contest <laughs> between us and the devil. Maybe we should we should do a thing where where uh, Jude is the devil, and you've got to out podcast him. I love this. I love this idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk to Jude about it, yeah. um, or he'll hear it on the show. <laughs> Well, maybe that's what we should do. Maybe we should have some sort of award ceremony. We didn't do that this year. But like, maybe we should do some sort of gold, uh, golden pod awards. The golden pod, okay. Yeah, well, think about that. It's just a golden microphone. Who, who is this award going to? What is this? I don't know. Well, we'll do a whole. You know, like you know how like Hammer Magazine does the Golden God Award. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll do the golden pod. Keep a lookout for that. Yes. As soon as, uh, as, soon as we figure out what we're awarding. We'll uh, That's right. make and to whom. Award and, yeah. <laughs> well, the other thing that we have going on, aside from uh, adulting stuff, is uh, we are going to do another tournament. Yes. Finally. Who's that? Sam's idea? Sam's idea. Yeah. yeah a couple of different people have asked about it. And, you know, in the fall, we, of course, did uh, the, for the tournament for the greatest horror movie of all time. We thought, since it's springtime, or it will be, by the time this is concluded, uh, time for new beginnings, time for risings. We might do something a little bit different, a little bit brighter. Uh, we would do a tourney for the greatest action film of all time. Time for the action. action goat. Yes. The greatest actions for there is a reaction. And that there reaction is, a, is action. A, an award from our podcast. A uh, golden pot award. And, and, and the, the award is, of course, just a just an honor. It's not like... Yes. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to send them a anything. Deep honor. But yeah. Great. Um, Great. So how do well we how do honor. we do this? It's been a while since well, we've had a tournament. How do we start this thing out? How does this work again? Well, we need to explain the m- rules much like and we did, do it all. Yeah, much like we did last uh, in the fall with the horror bracket. Uh, both myself and Matt will come up with eight movies that we think are can contest to be the greatest uh, the greatest action film of all time, and we'll post up. Uh, uh, polls on Instagram. Instagram tends to be the easiest with the polls. Yeah. You know, Facebook took it away. So follow us uh, at on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast to vote. I put it up every day from the time, usually from Monday through Friday, to give you guys an opportunity to vote. And I tally it all up, and then we announce it we, when we do our recording on Saturday or Sunday. We, we announce the winner, and we move the bracket forward week down, week down until we get to the winner. That sounds exciting. Uh, do so. Are we announcing them today, or is this? Um, yeah, why not? Why not? Why we, not? Let's, I know what I'll, I know what I'm into, baby. I let's can, just do it live. I know man. the kind Fuck of action we'll I like. We, yeah. All right. We definitely didn't plan this out. We're just gonna go off the top of our head. All right. How do we? What, what do you want to do? Uh, uh, well, let's talk about yeah, criteria. Criteria. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Yeah. That's all. Yeah, we can alternate back and forth. Yeah. Let's talk about some criteria because what defines an action film, right? Much in the same way that we talked about with horror. I think for me, I want to focus on things that are very um, – a lot of – for example, a lot of fantasy would probably fall into the realm of action, right? Say Lord, yeah, Lord of the Rings. Right, yeah. But I don't know that I would consider that an action film, more of a fantasy story. Yeah. Um, some sci-fi, Star Trek. Is that action? Well, if J.J. Abrams is directing it, it is. But again, I would probably put that a little bit more firmly in sci-fi. So I tried to find flicks that, with maybe one exception, fit really cleanly within the genre of of action. When people go to you, uh, you know, Netflix or they go to Apple Apple TV and type an action film, you'd probably see these movies pop up. Yeah, we we wanted to make sure we because we talked about this that like 
we weren't having, you know, heavy hitting art films that just happen to have action in them competing with like right. films that were made with the intention of giving you that roller coaster action movie ride, you know, cause that w- it just wouldn't be fair. I mean, cause, uh, to say, Oh, well there's a, you know, there's a fair amount of action in a casino. So, uh, let's have it compete right. with, uh, a Rambo movie or something. You know, it's just, it's, it's not quite fair because the intentions of the films are very different. So we absolutely, we, yeah, we want to try to make get films that some of these will, do get pretty artistic and they do get pretty abstract. But I think deep down inside these films, they they make me feel like the intention was to show me some fights and show me some yes. some action and some crazy situations and some some stunts, you know, that kind of yeah, thing. high octane content. Yes, like yes, sir. Much like my Blackheart Krampus blend coffee, high octane. So. For the first movie, I'm just gonna kind of pick at random, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna lead with a a film that is actually two films, but I'm gonna count it as one film because that's the director's intent, and intent is all important at the Grindhouse Podcast, and that is Kill Bill. Definitely, just, you know it, it. Some one of the things that Quentin Tarantino is just as excellent at is taking that which is old and making it feel fresh, and he took some of his favorite, you know, Kung Fu films and, and the tropes from those movies and combined it with a story of revenge and female empowerment and put together this, just this ballet of violence. It's beautiful. It's, uh, it's artistic. It is uh, schlocky at moments, but in a, in the, in a perfectly great way. I mean, it's just, it's, it's got all the hallmarks of a great Tarantino film, but also if you remember, like this was, this was a big showing for him because he was kind of like the crime drama guy. Yeah. Then just Kill Bill, which is like balls to the ball action. Yeah. For a good chunk of it, at least. It was inspired by all the like the cool uh, action uh, Chinese and Japanese action films that uh, Tarantino grew up watching, and it's all in there. Like it feels like the spirit of those films is in there with Tarantino's uh, kind of cool. 70s rock style you know um it's it's there's i mean everything is if you like reservoir dogs you like kill bill if you like deadly chinese hero with jet lee you'll like kill bill you know it's it's so exactly. uh, amazing how he tied all that stuff together so yeah that's a great choice and we get to see b action cinema uh, legend david carradine playing a you know one of the biggest roles of his career which was just right. awesome so so much longer, so much further from his heyday, much like he did with John Travolta in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, Tarantino, he has just he just has that impeccable. He knows what his taste is, and he's very impeccable about picking the elements to make a story his. Yeah, that's both reflective of the past, but also pushing forward. So that's one of my first selections is Kill Bill. Hell yeah! Who who would have known? Uma Thurman, you know, with those early films of hers, who would have known she had that in her? <laughs> she was amazing in that film. Absolutely. Uh, so, does that count one and two together? Or do you just kind of just do that? I guess. It... I I think so. I I think so, especially because for for again, if we're talking about the director's intent, even though it was chapterized, he does consider that one long movie. Oh, okay. All right then. Well, I'm going to throw in a uh, film that has a ton of action. It, it Unfortunately, it is one of those like really artsy art house films that I was kind of saying we're trying to avoid. <laughs> but it just it has pretty much has the God of War in it as like a lead character. Nice. And that would be uh, Valhalla Rising, 
uh, written okay. by or uh, directed by um, Nicholas. Uh, what's his name? Uh, <laughs> Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Winding Refn. Uh, I guess I'd say it. Oh uh, yes, of Drive. It, yeah, the guy that did Drive, and uh, this is one of his uh, earlier films. It's. Um, I mean, Drive is badass. Don't get me wrong, but like Mads Milkinson, uh the uh, Scandinavian actor, is just mean in this movie. I mean, it is like he's so basically the setup is he's like a pit fighter in uh, medieval uh, Norway. That's that's pretty much the idea. And so you can imagine, like you've seen like pit fighter movies, kickboxers stuff yeah. like that, but like in Viking times, you know, just beating the shit out of like all kinds of other slaves, you know, and it's, it has to do with the, uh, the English conquest of, uh, the Northern regions and how they kind of spread Christianity with the sword, you know, but, uh, right. And this guy's kind of like a hero of that time. And maybe he's a God incarnate, you know, cause there are some one eyed gods and he's got a one eye and, you know, so Odin esque. Yeah. A little bit, maybe something's going on there, but so it has some cool heady, like, uh, mythological stuff going on, but for the most part, man, those fight scenes in the Norwegian mud are just mean and brutal, and oh, it's fun. Yeah, so uh, I'm gonna go with Valhalla Rising. It's first on my list. Okay, fantastic. Well, from one Mads Mikkelsen movie to another, uh, the next one on my list is Casino Royale, the the Bond movie that revitalized the series, introduced Daniel Craig to us. Mad Mickelson plays the Bond villain. Oh, yeah. Um, what's great about that film, I mean, I guess all the Bond films are action films, but they got real campy with, you know, Pierce Bronson. Um, I think that this these films really brought it back to a, a, a to use a phrase from the film, making Bond a blunt instrument. Mm, yes. The style, the the integration of uh, parkour in some of the scenes and um, the real physicality behind the violence. It was a lot less gadget-reliant and far more brutal and physical and hands-on. And it really made Bond feel like a, a legitimate threat and not just sort of a, a one-line machine. And um, the, that opening chase sequence where, like, the he's, like, Daniel Craig's, like, chasing the guy on the skyscrapers yeah. and, like, the guy's doing the parkour, bouncing up off the walls, and Daniel Craig just, like, bursts through some sheetrock because he's not that delicate, you know? He's just, like, again, he's the blunt instrument. Right. So it was super cool. Uh, I mean, they, they they picked a perfectly imposing guy to play Bond. And uh, I remember watching that movie and just being like, wow, wow, this series is really cool again. And, you know, they've been a little up and down since then, but, but that one it, it definitely is one of the most, to me, capsulated the action in the 2000s in a, in a really strong way. The the parkour scene is a little. I st- I laugh every time I even think about it. Honestly, but, <laughs> but <laughs> it's it, awesome. It's awesome, but I'm just not sure that like doing all these cool parkour core moves actually helps you escape from James Bond faster. You know, Dude, it just seemed a little like uh, come on. <laughs> when you were skating and the cops came around and you ran and like bounced off a wall and jumped the fence, like that's parkour. Yeah, it does exactly. Help. I picked up my skateboard and I fucking ran. I didn't like do kickflips and grinds while the cops were chasing me. That's what. <laughs> anyway, well, Matt, if you if you keep on practicing, you too could be a parkour expert. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I do need to practice my parkour. Uh, and uh, so I have a, mo- a film from 1995 that might help me with uh, some of those moves. It's pre-parkour, 
but it does star a uh, pretty Pre-core. pretty badass kickboxing champ named Gary Daniels, who uh, okay, I think he's a Australian fellow, maybe British. I think he's Australian actually, uh, but he, he kind of dipped his toe into acting every once in a while. He's not bad, but uh, this is a film from 1995 called Rage. Have you heard of it? Nice. Have you seen it? I don't know if I've seen it. I have heard of it though. Yeah, it's uh, it's not. It's it didn't make it very big. I I don't know if it was like a Canadian film or what the deal is. Why it never really like took off in America. But it's like this this third grade teacher gets uh basically like kidnapped and like put into something kind of similar to like a Captain America style experiment thing to become like a super okay. soldier, but he All escapes. Right. And so uh, the government is chasing after him, and he's all you know badass and uh, amped up, and it's uh, it's so stupid, man. It's stupid thing. It's like so simple. It's just it's just <laughs> like hey, well, let's just set up a scenario where people get to chase this really fit guy that's all awesome, but like he gets to right. see him steal eighteen wheelers and have like the coolest eighteen wheeler car chase I've ever seen. Uh, he's just kickboxing badass the whole time. I'm. I don't know if you've never seen Rage, give it a go because it's it's one of those films that's just it's more like a ride than a movie. You know, it's like I got on right, like I have, right. I have it on VHS. I mean, I don't, I don't think they ever had a DVD release, but it's like you put that in the VCR, man, and you just strap in. <laughs> it's it's good. good to go. It's a wild ride. Yeah. Well, from one wild ride to another, I'm gonna go with a movie that I think everyone should expect, and that's John Wick. Oh yes, and. I know some people might think it's obvious, but it's obvious for a reason. Those films, you know what's so great about the, the John Wick series? We talk what? about a tent at the top of the episode, right? It knows exactly what it is. It's a very loose plot that is really buoyed on some excellent hand-to-hand combat. And Matt, both you and I practice martial arts, me mostly jujitsu and a little bit of uh, kickboxing, and you certainly some kickboxing and boxing. And you know, if you have even the slightest background in martial arts, seeing those moves, the real moves applied in in a stylized manner is super cool. Like people doing rear naked chokes and collar chokes and like uh, umapladas and you know triangles. Yeah. And some people may not know any of these things I'm listing, but they're all jujitsu stuff. And I don't remember a, a mainstream movie showcasing that art since like maybe the first or second lethal weapon what was the lethal weapon that um mel gibson applies the triangle at the end you remember that like all the cops are watching him and he's like in a he's like in a a bare knuckle bra with the bad guy and it's it's in the mud and then like he straps him into a triangle and like chokes the guy out i think in the movie he kills the guy but it's uh, lethal weapon six no, it's it's all it's one of the older there's ones. No, I don't think there's. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not real familiar with. There might be six of those. No, I don't, I, they're not on our list. I don't think there's six of them because I'm pretty sure the last time uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia did one of their Lethal Weapon remakes. Uh, six was the one <laughs> they did. Uh, gotcha. Well, anyways, yeah. it's again, it's it's really cool to see that craft, the, the the craft of stunts, being put at the forefront of a movie. I think all of these action films would put a premium on stunt play, but but Kill Bill really did it from the perspective of stunt no, directors, wait, right? Kill Bill. Guys who, wait, what are we on? Oh, sorry, John Wick. <laughs> yeah. Well, Kill Bill too, but yeah. John Wick really made a film from the perspective of a stunt coordinator. You know, the two guys that directed it come from a background in stunts, and so they really they did a really good job of highlighting 
how beautiful that craft can be. It's a fun story. And Keanu Reeves is perfectly cast in it. You know, he doesn't have to emote much. He's just, you know, badass Keanu. Yeah, it's pretty good. And I got to say, like, the pistol work in it, too, man. It's it's a lot of that kind of old John Woo style, the dance, you know, with the pistols. Uh, but it has, there was something about the way they used guns in John Wick that I found to be a little more believable uh, than a lot of films. Like, it, it wasn't just this, like, point and shoot person to leader you know it was a right. this real ballistic thing i mean there's a part where he's, he's fighting a guy hand to hand and he pins him down and shoots him in the head and uh you're going like uh whoa that was whoo that was rough man but at the same time you're thinking that probably really happens in fights yeah. where really highly trained men are fighting each other and they have guns like stuff like like it felt realistic even though it's yeah. totally unrealistic yeah, it's a cool no, movie. It, it, it threads that line between being somewhat like your impression of it is like it's realistic, even though when you watch it, it's highly stylized, yeah. like incredibly stylized. But but again, it does that cool little dance where even though you know you're watching this hyper stylized film, it feels real yeah. in some strange way, which is I think a hallmark of really great action film. Yeah, yeah, definitely. John Wick is fantastic. It's also a revenge film. That's right, which we love. And I'm going to move on to another revenge film. Add this to the list. This is a 2003 film. It was also remade again in 2013 by Americans, which America, stop doing that. (laughs) When a good movie comes out in Japan or Korea and it doesn't have English words in it, just release it here and make us read stop remaking these films man because it doesn't didn't work but the korean film is incredible and i'm talking about old boy man old boy is so good you know that movie yeah of course yeah it's so it's a revenge film it's josh brolin josh brolin was in the american one thank you (laughs) uh but no man old boy is a um film by uh Chanwick Park. Good God. I don't know why I can't remember his name. You know, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, all those cool movies. Yeah. Uh, and he, he's got such a great look in it, too. Oh, yeah. He's he's amazing. Uh, it stars uh, Min Sik Choi, who was in um, I Saw the Devil. He's been in a lot. I mean, if you've seen a Korean film, he's in it. But this guy's great. And right. uh, he plays Odesu, who is a uh, uh, just kind of a idiot, uh, drunkard, uh, just not, not not really doing too well. And then one day he wakes up, he goes to sleep, and when he wakes up, he's in a hotel room, and he and with a locked door, uh, and he can't get out. And it turns out it's more than a hotel room. There's like brick walls, and the the door is actually a big iron door. Uh, the window is actually just a picture. I mean, it's it's a prison. And for 18 years he's in this prison, and then one day he's just released. No, I mean, the whole time he's in there, he's, he's all alone in this room. He's got nothing but a television. Right. And then one day he's just released and he's got to find out what happened to him. What, what was that? Who did that to him? It's 18 years later. Where's his daughter? She's grown up now. She was a baby. Um, and the whole time he's been in there, he's been training for the day, you know, getting ready. Uh, basically uh, using tricks he sees on the TV and just stuff he thinks of by himself to like learn how to become a fighter. And it uh, is definitely one of those ones that is kind of like 
on the borderline we were talking about where maybe it's a little too artsy to be fair to put it on this list. But like but the action sequences are amazing, amazing, dude. I mean, you're talking uh, single take, um, brutal act, uh, fights. I mean, uh, Odessu versus like tw- uh, armed with nothing but a, a hammer, you know, like just a regular hammer yeah. that you would get from the hardware store fighting like 20 guys in a single take shot that just goes on and on. And you're just so tired when it's over. You you feel that, you know, if you've ever been in a fight, I mean, that's one of the surprising things uh, is, is the uh, fatigue that you get when these yeah. things go on for too long. And well, it's funny. Man, you feel um, that in this film, you know, you see the influence of that, that's that scene in particular, like on a, remember daredevil a couple of years ago, the series yeah. on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. You could see the obviously the influence there on that thing. They did a hallway fight scene uh, and a staircase fight scene the following season. And, um, you know, it's funny because on Twitter I asked the question sort of in relation to 1917, can someone convince me that, that one-take scenes, or specifically one-take movies, but are anything other than masturbatory? And I think this is the exception to that rule. This is like – it's there for a purpose. Yeah. Exactly what you're saying so that you feel that sense of exhaustion at the end of the scene. Like you should feel – because for those of you who have never been in a fight, it's not just the physical activity. There's a whole adrenaline dump that occurs. Yeah. And your body's chemistry actually plummets at the end of your fight or flight scenario. So like it's not just the physical impact of you know throwing a punch and maybe even being hit. It's like your body's chemistry completely changes at the end of this you know incident. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I mean, by the end of that scene, people are just like crawling on the ground, like still trying to attack each other. <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, it's cool. It was a great film. Uh, so, uh, it, and the action sequences are incredible. I mean, from the very first moment where he goes to, uh, he, he's out, he's on the street and some thugs come to rob him and he goes to punch one and, and it freezes, it like freeze frames and says, uh, does 18 years of imaginary training actually pay off? Yes, it, yes, it does. <laughs> and then you just see him destroy like eight guys all at once. Nice. Yeah, very cool stuff. So, old boy, fantastic film. Do watch the Korean one. Avoid the American one. Yes. Well, we're talking about being sort of uh, trapped, you know, trapped in a prison. And this movie is a little similar. It's a Christmas film. In fact, it's... One of the greatest Christmas films. Uh, and that is Bruce Willis's Die Hard. A man who goes to patch up a relationship with his wife and he gets trapped in a terrorist situation that he's got to fight his way out of with no shoes on. It's excellent. Everything about this flick is so good from uh, the fight scenarios uh, to... And, and here's the other thing. If you think about when this film came out, you know, in the middle of the 80s, most action films were dominated by this either crazy muscle-bound dude or like crazy like martial artist guy. And up until this point, Bruce Willis is no – and not that he, Bruce Willis is a small guy because he's certainly not. But in comparison to say like Arnold or, or Stallone, like he's not in that, in that physical realm. Right. He, and, and, and coming out of Moonlighting, he's really like the everyman guy. But with Die Hard, you can believe that a man can – kick some ass yeah you know <laughs> like everything about it he's just like it's the it's it's very much a uh he's he's an action hero who's driven by his uh lack of regard for his own physical well-being his heart and his never say die attitude 
chock full with one-liners and cool scenes and great visuals and and yippee kayes. It's great. It's a great film, and it's definitely I think it's going to be one of the favorites in this tournament. I think you're right. Very memorable film, and uh, yeah, I, I never considered that. That was kind of like the turning point where Bruce Willis became a real action hero. Yeah, yeah, that's because before he was like the wisecracking guy from Moonlight. I forgot David all about Moonlighting. All, all I, I mean, I was very young at the time, and I just remember that was that boring show that my parents watched. And I don't know right. what moonlighting means, but it sounds really cool. And now I know it's actually not really cool. It means it just means you have a job at night and <laughs> side job, yeah, exactly, <laughs> because the economy is so bad. Yeah. All right, what's next on your list, Matt? I'm sticking with the East and moving over to Thailand for uh, one of the okay. first films I've ever seen to uh, focus on the Muay Thai fighting style. This is where yes. you fight mostly with your elbows and your knees. It's a lot of really cool mm. uh, strikes with uh, uh, close close strikes, you know, with your elbows and knees and head. It's the art of eight limbs. Yes, yes, it is. And uh, this is a film called Ongbok, which uh, was also the first film to come to America to show off the uh, the actor Tony Jaa, who is oh, nice. a just amazing skilled guy. I mean, the 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 um, the stunts. The, the moves, the speed, everything he does is just incredible. And it, it's a really cool story because it's like it's not a relatable story for American audiences, but it's 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 a something that um, it when you get into that world, it really it, there's a lot of depth there. And the, the idea is that he's a, a man, uh, a very, very strong fighter and a skilled young man from a, a small village. And when um, one of the. Uh, uh, another man from the village who who used who grew up there but moved to the city. He comes back and he steals the head of one of their sacred statues, and um, Ting, the uh, village warrior, the, the best warrior in the village, he has to go to the city to track down the head and bring it back because it it right. means the, the Ongbok statue means a lot to these people. And without mm-hmm. you know with it with their main statue disgraced, they are worried that their whole way of life will crumble. I mean, so right. it, you, you have to just kind of go, oh eh, well, that seems a bit far fetched. But at the same time, it's it's important to these people, you know. And it has a lot. Of, you you brought up earlier, and I was telling you about it how like it actually references us a, a big problem with uh, something that that you know where people from the West were coming to those regions and they were actually defacing these things as souvenirs and taking, st- uh, you know, the heads of sacred right. statues. And so it, there's a lot there to uh, draw from. And um, the, the, the action sequences are mind blowing. I mean, the, the way this guy moves, the stuff he can do, it's like, he is like the Thai Jackie Chan, I guess would be the best way to put it. Well, I look forward to Jude's feedback on that one because uh, yeah, he's the one who sort of brought up to me, that the, the sort of behaving of monuments is a real issue there. So kind of cool that they were able to draw from a real issue and then make this great action film around it. Maybe maybe open people some people's eyes. Some people who have Buddhist uh, heads on their lawn can maybe take a look at that and be like, oh, maybe this isn't quite as uh, as cool as I, I might have thought it to be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, what have you got well, next? I, well, I'm also going to go to the East for this one. Um, and I'm going to go to one of my favorite films, Enter the Dragon. It's the film that most people know uh, from Bruce Lee's catalog, although they're all great, Big Boss, and um, even though he didn't finish it, the, the parts of Game of Death that he did film. But what's cool about Enter the Dragon is it sort of really introduced this idea of mixed martial arts. You know, the whole premise is he goes to this island and he, like, he's part of this tournament and 
you get to see these different elements, these different fighting styles, and uh, you know, combat against one another. And and you know, there's the iconic scene of him getting the the scratch. He's in the in the mirror room, and he gets the scratches across his chest. I mean, so much of this film not only set the legacy for Bruce Lee, who's massively influential in all these martial art films that we talked about, but also this introduction of of pitting different styles against one another, which then we saw went on to, I'm sure in a lot of ways, influence the creation of the UFC, which, you know, if you look at UFC, whether or not you're a big martial arts person or not, but like that hasn't, you know, we talked about with, uh, you know, John Wick, like seeing mixed martial arts play out in the real world influenced the way action films started to look. And I think UFC can be traced back to, some of the things that we saw in Enter the Dragon. And so from that perspective, aside from the, the the grace in which Bruce Lee was able to do his moves, his movies in particular, Enter the Dragon, was hugely influential in the way that we viewed martial arts in general. I, was this the first film to uh, introduce Bolo Young? Uh, I don't know. Let me he, look. He's the uh, that incredibly muscular um, uh, man that he's – I mean – He's one of the main. Uh, I guess he's like the muscle of like Han, who's like the main villain. Yes, correct. And, um, but he he went on to be the villain in so many '80s action films because he's just this like really mean-looking, really muscular guy. And uh, yeah. I think that might be the first film that he was uh, kind of introduced in. I mean he he'd been working pretty consistently since the '70s. Um, so, but of course, overseas, right? I, I would say, yeah, as far as American audience is concerned, Enter the Dragon, which came out in 1973, was probably the introduction to him to Americans, to, to America. Um, but, you know, then he went on to be in, um, oh, wasn't he in Kick? No, he wasn't Blood in Kick. He was in Bloodsport. Yeah. yeah, he was in Bloodsport. Yes. He was in, um, I'm just trying to think, Way of the Dragon 2. He was in... Um, there's a lot of Bruce Lee films, it looks like, or at least movies that had Bruce Lee on there. But yeah, I mean, he's just, you know, he's been in a billion films. He was always, he was always Ironheart. Yeah. You know, Double Impact. It was in Double Impact as well. So much like in the same way that Danny Trejo became popular because of his physical, his very unique physical look, I think Bolo Young very similarly uh, had this, you know, because he was such a stocky, big, you know, Chinese actor, and it's like it went against, and especially because thinking about Chinese actors and martial artists from the East, you think of like Bruce Lee, this very slight, very sort of ballet yeah. martial artist, and this guy was just much more physical and intimidating. And yeah, another another influence to come out of Enter the Dragon. Yeah, just terrifying physique, man. <laughs> Every time I saw him when I was a kid, he was, I was, just he like, was known as the Chinese Hercules. I could see that. Yeah, yeah, he's he's and he's still, I think he's still alive and still looks pretty much the same um so let's see uh is it my turn now uh all yeah. right uh, well i'm gonna i'm gonna go to a more recent film though the franchise is not recent at all it's something we all grew up okay. watching and that's mad max but i'm not gonna do I'm, yes. I'm so sorry i have to skip past all of the mel gibson films but even though i love them because fury road they're great man, Fury Road crystallized what it means to be a Mad Max movie. Mad Max Fury Road is just, it it shows you a world, it builds the world, it tells you who the characters are, and then 
second act and adventure begins and it does not stop until the film is over and you see amazing things it's just a it's just a tear ass whirlwind through through this crazy world that that uh, you would think it's it's moving too fast to even get a glimpse of what this world is like, but you feel that this world is so real, and you're just hauling ass through it as this you know this this man is doing his best to assist this uh, this this group of women uh, led by uh, Charlie Theron, who is just a, a as, as she's, she's just as badass as he is, if not more so. And he's like, you could almost argue that she's the main character, and he sort of plays a. Um the Mad Max actually sort of plays a complimentary character to, to Furiosa. Yeah, he's just he's just there to assist. He's almost kind of like um uh Owen uh Owens who am I thinking of? Uh Owen Hart. <laughs> no. Uh Clive he's almost like Clive Owen in oh, yeah, uh, yeah, Sin yeah. City. The way uh you know, yep. he's surrounded by uh, a group of women who he's helping but he's not the strong, you know, just because he's the man, he's not the strongest one. He's just, they need him, you know, they need his help. Like, but they, they don't need him in the way that like, without him, they're, you know, they're, they're weak. Right. It's just that like, he's, he's there, you know, and, and it's, it's almost like that. Yeah. They don't need him because he's a man. Yeah. They don't need him because he's a man. They just need him because they need additional yeah, support. And he's their friend and he, and he can go places they can't and they can go places he can't and they can do, you know. And it's similar in that way where it's like this guy is, you know, he's just part of the story now. And I I think it kind of opened up a uh, a new look at what a Mad Max film could be where we don't really need him to always be the hero. We could actually just have right. him as being like uh, our anchor to this world and we could see what adventures he gets to go on and be included in because he, he right. just kind of falls into this thing. I mean, uh, when it begins, he's basically just tied to the front of a car, you know, as this crazy ride begins. But, uh, man, that film, I went and saw that in theaters. And that was a film that, like, after you watched it, uh, driving home, you're on the freeway and you're kind of feeling like you're still in the film. So it's like this real edgy drive home. You're just like, "Ah." it was amazing. One of the best one of the best things about about action films, in the same way that horror leaves you that sense of dread, like a great action film should make you feel like you're still in that world long after you leave. And it's just that adrenaline high sticks with you all day. And when you're in the car, you just feel like you're going a bit faster and you're feeling like you're moving with a little more intense purpose. Um, and, and in particular, that film is just bombastic from start to finish. It's like every frame is – I mean, do you remember like splash pages in, in comic yeah. books? It's like every frame of that movie is like a splash page. Like you could take a- almost any frame and frame it and hang it on your wall, and it would look like a gorgeous piece of art because that's kind of what that film is. Just it's it's like if you took all the coolness of a, a music video, but you gave it a real driving plot and some strong acting, and boom, there you go. It's just it's an experience. Yeah. And the story is so simple, but so relatable uh, that. It's amazing. Even the slow parts of the film, where you know the characters are are talking and and and, just, and explaining the story, they um, though they're brief. Uh, they they don't feel uh, oh we just have to have a story. You know, it it doesn't feel like they they can action first, story second. Like it all ties together really right. well. And uh, yeah, I was really impressed by it. I, I love that movie. I'm hoping that we get a new one. That needs to happen. Yes, I'm yeah. hoping. I'm hoping. Well. You know, I, we talked a little bit about Mad Max, sort of in some ways 
not really being the hero of that story, but really more of an anchor to that world. And so my next selection has a protagonist that serves the same purpose. Um, this might seem a little bit odd, but I think it fits perfectly, even though it's a little less serious than some of my other selections. And that is Pirates of the Caribbean Curse of the Black Pearl. All right. You know, you think of it as a comedy because of Johnny Depp's portrayal of Jack Sparrow, but it's a great action film, um, especially if you're into pirate stuff at all, like just the, the big ship battles and capturing the, the royal swashbuckling images that you imagine if you read like Treasure Island or any of those, you know, Captain Blood, you know, sw- you know swinging from the, from the crow's nest and sword fights and you've got this sort of campy element of skeletons very uh you remember the skeletons from um is it jason the agronauts yeah yeah do you remember the the stop mo yeah like it's sort of in the vein of that you know so you know if you grew up on those old stop motion greek mythology films like pirates of the caribbean very much like the first one at least very much plays into all those hallmarks and it's so fun uh non-stop it really does feel like you're on a roller coaster this is a film that I think it's it's based on an amusement park, and it very much captures a sense of being on a roller coaster. Um, it's very it's very very fun. It's very silly, but I think it's one of the best depictions of pirate action in in any film that I've seen. And for that, I think that it's deserving of being uh, in the running for greatest uh, greatest action film of all time. It's it's definitely the best film based on an amusement park of all time. It's got that going for it. <laughs> I, Great pirate sword I forget fighting. that sometimes that they had a ride and then they were like, let's make a movie. Everybody likes the ride. <laughs> it's excellent. It's so smart too. Yeah, no, it's good. It's, it's fun. And, and you don't typically think of Johnny Depp as an action guy. And, and he's still kind of playing it very silly, but like even for being the sort of the drunk Keith Richards pirate, yeah. um, he pulls off the action sequences quite well, you know. It's like if a, uh, it's like if Buster Keaton played a pirate, it would be Captain Jack Sparrow. Yeah, he was a great character. Uh, I think um, that a big reason why I don't really like the later uh, films from the series is because they focus less on him, and uh, mm. yeah, it just kind of took me. It's like I, I don't really care as much about this anymore. But uh, yeah, no, it, it really wasn't. It was really <clears throat> one of those movies that you didn't need five yeah. of them. You know they're you know they're rebooting it with Zac Efron. Ew. Why? Yeah, that was my reaction too. Why? Good job, Disney. <laughs> just just let it oh lie, my man. God, no, thank you. All right, moving forward, I am finally. Wait, have we Please. visited Arnold yet? We haven't we haven't seen Arnold yet, have we? No, I don't think I don't think we've talked you about gotta Arnold. Gotta have movie an Arnold yet. movie. Shocking you gotta have at least one, and I've got one. Uh, oh, great! That's Predator. Got? I mean, Predator is fantastic. It, it's uh, no, it's it's incredible, man. It has like a a great cast. You've got uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. You've got uh, um, Governor Jesse Ventura. You've got uh, uh, That's uh, what's his name? Carl yeah, Weathers. Carl Weathers. Yeah, fantastic bunch of guys uh, and, and some others. I, I can't list right now because I don't have it pulled up on my computer screen. But uh, it's Shane Black. Shane Black. Whoever he is, he's wonderful he, performance he by wrote Shane black oh he wrote it he wrote and directed but he's also the comic book guy in the predator movie oh excellent okay yeah shane black wrote all the uh lethal weapon movies which we talked about earlier i believe he wrote and directed the predator or predator yeah. 
Yeah, very cool crew. And and so the idea is you've got some, uh, what are they, like a commando troop or something that's in in South America yeah, on some island exactly. trying to find some uh, drug drug lords or something maybe, uh, uh, terrorists. Uh, it doesn't matter why they're there because, when yes, because when they find them, they're already dead. And we and didn't kill them. Who killed them? And yeah, massive monster alien guy that only goes tra- all, his whole reason for traveling the galaxy. He's not first contact trying to go see what's up on your planet. Let's share technology. He just wants to say, show me what you got. He shows up. He wants to fight. And he figures like uh, this right. little war zone is probably where I could find one of the coolest fights. So uh, he, he's come on down and he's just ready for some action. And he and there's a whole team of guys led by Arnold Schwarzenegger ready to bring that action. Do you? Uh, here's a little bit a little bit of trivia for you. Do you know who was the original actor to play the Predator? Um, well, let's see. I have a page here. Uh, Kevin Peter Hall. No, that's who I think did play him. It was originally Jean-Claude Van Damme. Oh, yes, that's he right. Never, he never made it into the movie uh, because they. I think once they got him out there and they got him in the costume, it was just like not the right look. It was He's much skinnier than they, they wanted the Predator to look, especially once you start rounding out the cast of these bruisers, you know, the idea of having Predator being this martial artist that didn't really right. fly. But, yeah, think about that. What, what movie we could have gotten with that with a Jean-Claude Van Damme Predator Versus well, there's all kinds of stuff well, that they went through to get that movie made. I mean, there's sketches, there's original costumes that just look nothing like the film. There's like some kind of weird uh, angular monster that they thought might be the predator for a while. Um, yeah, right. yeah when, when they came up with that thing of the weird, you know, kind of mostly nude fishnets, uh, so, sort of like dreadlock things hanging from his head, that, that awesome metal mask. Um, Sounds like a cyberpunk. I would not be surprised if it inspired a bit of that. I mean, it was a very striking look for an alien, and we'd never seen anything like that. And, and it's weaponry, it's uh, the cloaking, the camouflage, the all the the, the, the weird uh, blade weapons, the projectiles. Um, it was incredible stuff. I mean, you, you got a real sense that even though it's like one against eight badass commando guys, it's like they're, they're in some right. danger, man. This thing is... Uh, very memorable movie, great action scenes. And uh, when it, by the time it finally got, it gets down to just a, the one-on-one of uh, Schwarzenegger versus this monster, um, it's, it's, it's a really cool uh, take on what I, what I kind of think is like a, kind of like, like a monster fight where you, right, you, you, right. Know, you, you don't normally get these films where you can see the monster has, does have an advantage but it's not mm-hmm. that like blanket advantage that you get from like a Jason or you know something like that or Freddy Krueger. It's right. like this thing is uh, it's it's actually there because it it's looking for a challenging fight, and it's right. it's mano a mano. Yeah, it's very interesting, very cool movie. I liked it a lot. Well, and frankly, like the casting of Arnold, you believe that he could at least have a fighting chance against a super advanced alien. Yeah. You know, like if you if you if you could level the playing field, right? If you could put all your toys away, and it's just, you know, brawn against brawn. Like you'd believe that Arnold could at least have a a, fi- a puncher's chance against. Yeah, him. a chance. You don't. You don't. He doesn't seem like a contender. You know, he's not going to win. But like, yeah, it's so. And, and that's what's cool about the film is that because it, this thing is so much more powerful, you get to see this like kind of. Uh, jungle survival mode that the the, the right. military training all that stuff it's all there and it, it just makes a lot of fun so 
Predator One. Yeah, and and I Very honestly cool, don't need cool. any other Predator movies ever again. So well, I have to make a late uh, substitution because I thought you were gonna pick Terminator Two, so I had Inception, which is also a great film. But since we went with Predator, I think I got to go with Terminator Two over Inception. Honorable mention. Um, but yeah, I mean, Terminator Two is just the quintessential Arnold movie in a lot of ways, and it was one of the films. That really, I mean, James Cameron blending technology with like physical presence. You know, even though Arnold is, uh, you know, he's at the height of being Arnold Schwarzenegger. He, it's not like a punch him up type flick. Yeah. You know, it's Richard Patrick versus, is it Richard Patrick? Which Patrick is it? Robert Patrick. I always get those two. Robert Patrick. Richard Patrick is in Filter. It's Robert Patrick who plays a shape-shifting Terminator you know, versus Arnold. And it was the first time that you kind of got that analogy of is the old way, old way dead, right? This is like 91, I think, when Terminator 2 came out. And the height of brawny action figures was starting to die out. Yeah. You started to get replaced more with the Bruce Willis everyman look. And so in some ways, Arnold's T-800 represents like the 80s action hero going up against a more CG lean technologically advanced type of you know in this case bad guy and you sort of saw them pitted up against each other and this is a theme that you'll see repeated you know a decade later when you start seeing all the expendable movies and you know stallone coming out of retirement every five minutes you know this idea of like the old way versus the new but t2 is kind of the first flick that really put that up there in the mainstream and asking the question like can the can this old can this old model still stand up to the ever advancing uh, technology boom? Yeah, it it was uh, very compelling too uh, at the time. Seeing that CGI shape shifting guy, all the weird stuff he could do, it was like it, yeah. it made a whole new set of rules. You know, you couldn't shoot him, you couldn't hurt him with bullets. Uh, I mean, at one point they even freeze him, and he just kind of comes back together and they freeze him and shatter right. him. And they, yeah. All that stuff. It was like a, yeah, much more like a supernatural being than, than the robot that it was supposed to be. But you know, it was kind of like that sci-fi thing where it looks like magic because it's so far advanced and it was very cool. Very yeah, interesting. Right. Yeah. We had a lot of fun watching that. Definitely. We've got two Schwarzeneggers now. So I think we're going to need two. a Stallone. I mean, it seems only yeah. fair. Yeah. We got a lot to choose from. Maybe Rocky. I mean, is that an action film? Could be uh, Rocky. Is that a sports movie or an action film? I think. Ooh, that's a tough one. I think if you're talking about four, it's more of an action film. But if you're talking about one and two, that's more of a sports film. Yeah. Three kind of falls in the middle. We don't talk about five. There's Cobra. Cobra's a totally badass Cobra's action great. movie. Cobra's great. I mean, lots of cool Super car stunts. Cool. He looks amazing in those mirror shades. I wanted to be him. The toothpick. Do what? The toothpick hanging out. Yeah, that's the look, man. Well, if we were going for fashion, you know, most fashionable action heroes, I would go with Cobra. But uh, right. no, I, I like a movie where he's a little more rough around the edges, a little shell shock, a little frazzled, you know, got some PTSD working through him, working through oh, some things. I think things. I know where you're going. You know, he's just trying to make his way here in this country when some of the mean old cops, man, they don't like him. And uh, yeah. so he gets into a mess. And that film is First Blood. The, yes, the film that started Rambo. the Rambo franchise. That's right. He was John Rambo. 
And at the time, and I like this faction film because it's uh, it's it, it's more realistic. It's more believable. Right, right. It's not one of those he kills hundreds of people movies. It's just, you know, there's some fights in it. There's some uh, some of that same kind of like predator style jungle tra- jungle survival tactics stuff. But it also has a social right. message, you know, about how we treat our veterans and uh, which is very important. We, we, we could do much better as a country at that, I always think. And, of course. Uh, it was uh, and, and also about the uh, relationship between law enforcement and military where they there there is uh, a perceived sometimes uh, sort of like a jealousy uh, with a certain sometimes sometimes in law enforcement there can be a bit a bit of a perceived jealousy when it comes to military because they're there I think our society tends to even though we you know in reality don't have near enough out there for our veterans to help them. We always right. have this cultural like, oh, they're the heroes. If you, you know, if you can read this sign, thank your teacher. If it's in English, thank a veteran, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, there's, there's so much praising them in our society constantly and, and not really as much praising the police. And I think sometimes you, uh, a film that looks at that, like, you know, resentment that, that, that. I don't think really exists these days, but may have existed in the seventies as far as uh, police versus veterans. And especially someone like John Rambo in that film, that's just kind of wandering around and not really, he's practically homeless in the film and he's obviously got a lot of issues and just the way he's treated and his reaction to this police force, the small town police force is uh, creates uh, not not just some of the best action sequences uh, for the time, but like a um, so the ones that you actually care about. Every everybody in this film is right. like a real person. There's no just you know faceless bad guys, and uh, but at the same time the the action level is always there, and uh, it's a very good movie. So I'm gonna go with that. And it, I mean, the the character of John Rambo was memorable memorable enough to spark. Way too many sequels. Four? Yeah, like four, four sequels now, now with this. You know, they turned him into a cartoon character, but uh, but in that in those days in that film, it's it's a very cool movie and a very good story. And so, First Blood. Right. We look. We talk about with horror films always reflecting the anxieties of the times. I think action films can also, in a lot of ways, and First Blood is a great example of that. Use the genre to highlight certain issues. It doesn't always have to be sort of a shoot them up or a punch them up type flick. It can, uh, some some of the best horror, or sorry, some of the best action films do have that undercurrent of like holding a mirror up to society. Well, from that legend back to the ultimate legend, my final movie on my list is Conan the Barbarian. Oh, yes. Arnold just embodying that character in every way. If you ever read the comics, they're just these cool, violent, you know, it didn't fit in like with spandex wearing things. This is just like the a literal barbarian, like in this sort of world of like mutants and monsters and cannibals and sword fighting. And it just, you couldn't imagine this world being brought to life. And yet with Arnold, it felt so real. It felt so like he just f- perfectly fit uh, the character of Conan the Barbarian or King Conan later. Uh, he's great in it. Um, I didn't watch the Jason Momoa remake. I'm going to ignore that oh, yeah. and just focus on the Arnold one because I think Conan really solidified Arnold as like the ultimate action hero coming out of the 80s. 
Absolutely. And so much I want to say about Conan the Barbarian, but I think we're getting toward the end and we need to like move fast. So, (laughs) uh, yeah. uh, So I think that no action film list would be complete without a Jackie Chan movie. Oh, good choice. Yeah. I mean, the guy's guy's a master uh, of, of entertaining, of action fighting style entertainment, I guess you'd say. Uh, so I'm gonna go with Rumble in the Bronx. It was kind of like his first crossover film. That, that oh, that was great! Yeah, I love that one. It made it made it here to American theaters and kind of introduced us all to him in the '90s. And um, that uh, I think it's it's the it was our first chance to really see that level of stunt work that Jackie Chan and his crew can do. I mean, because the guy is he's like a an artist of stunts it's amazing he he carries a notepad with him everywhere he goes and when he gets stunt ideas he writes them down he's got his own stunt factory where him and his crew get together and they just workshop stunts all day long and uh every so every time they make a film with this guy it's like you know you never know what you're gonna see and uh rumble in the bronx is is certainly one of those Uh, i think he broke his foot in the filming of that he usually has some kind of injury after every film and um it was just, uh, uh, I mean, he went all out trying to like make a really cool, uh, accessible um, action film for American audiences, and uh, that, well, one that was of, great. One of the great things, one of the great things about Jackie Chan is that it all feels, again, sort of in this, it, it, sort of in a similar way to John Wick, but even maybe more so. It all feels real, you know. Um, punching someone really hurts your hand, yeah. And he plays it up for comedy. He stylizes it. But that was so unique to have you know, this, and this is sort of a trademark of Jackie Chan that you know he punches a guy and then he immediately is like ow 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 you know like he hurt his hand in the process of it, and uh, you know all those stunts that he does himself unfortunately have taken a toll on his body. But like he really put himself out there to really elevate the craft of stunt play, and yeah, you're right. Rumble in the Bronx was for those of us who didn't necessarily know him from his his work overseas. Like this was our first introduction to him, and he just. Yeah, he's already a little bit older at this point, but he was still wowing us. I mean, like, we just things we'd never seen before. So that's our bracket, everyone. We're excited to have you guys participate as part of our tournament once again. We'll post up the bracket uh, on our social media at Grindhouse Podcast, both on our Facebook and Instagram. And again, you can follow me at on Twitter at Dave Oscuro, and I'll be posting polls and updates and calculating everyone's votes. And remember, this is for, this is audience choice. This is for you guys to decide what movie of this list of all-time classics is going to be crowned the greatest action film of all time. The vote is up to you. This is the most important vote that you can make this year, which is the greatest action film of all time. (laughs) It's the most important vote this year? Okay. Yes, the most important (laughs) vote this year for this tournament. It probably is the way things are going. Yeah, let's let's answer the question. Questions from the Crypt. Lilith May asks, I'd like to know more of the tech side, like learning about all of the latest, and by latest I mean anything post 1080p. I've just been out of touch for so long, it will all be new to me. So I guess the question is sort of mostly focused on um, camera, camera technology. Like what is some of the, the latest technology out there with filmmaking? I mean, it changes rapidly. I mean, cameras now are shooting in 8K. The days of 1080p is like, that's like, that's even old for some phones now. You know, I think nowadays people are just shooting. And for those who don't know, like 1080p is like considered high def. It's a, it's a pixel rate. 
and nowadays people are shooting at 8,000 times. I don't even know if that's accurate, it's, but 8K in terms of resolution. So that's advancing rapidly, um, you know, but there's other technologies to talk about. There's also, you know, Matt, you alluded to, was it last week about 3D printing? Yeah, yeah, and that's, pertaining to cinema, uh, that's becoming a pretty important thing for uh, uh, prop departments, having those 3D printers exactly. and being able to design stuff on the computer. Uh, I know for me in the sculpture industry, it's amazing because I can, I can pretty much finish out a whole sculpture in the computer, show the client, they can make any changes they want to make, and then I can send it all to print and have it exactly like I showed them, you know? So that's, that's pretty cool stuff. So I'm, I imagine in film, it probably works out pretty well. Absolutely, absolutely. And then, you know, we talked about phones and the, the level of the resolution that exists now. You know, the movie I just did, half the film was shot on the uh, iPhone 11 Pro, you know? And so um, obviously there's a infinite amount of technology that we could talk about, but just focusing on some of the things that are super accessible for anyone to use to make a film, you know, camera phones, 3D printing. I think there's a lot of, you know, software that exists out there now, you know, Photoshop and After Effects and all those things you can get really inexpensively and create your own little studio in your apartment to go out and make, you know, minimum short films with your friends. Yeah, definitely. That's the coolest thing about all this new technology that cuz I I mean, there's technology we'll never be able to afford obviously, but like for the most part, man, Every time Hollywood gets some brand new, big new thing, it just means the other stuff gets even more cheap and uh, uh, accessible right. to the rest of us. Right. Absolutely. So um, always good to keep up on technology. Technology allows us to move at the speed of thought. And I think for any creative person, that is the ultimate goal. Jess It's Me asks, what's your opinion on ELI or environmental LED versus physical locations? So this kind of dovetails nicely off the last question in terms of technology. Are you familiar with what ELI is, Matt? Uh, you were telling me a little bit about it, but I don't think I quite get it. Yeah, so so a, a series, for example, like The Mandalorian, utilized technology, LED technology where you essentially are operating, you're filming on a soundstage, but the soundstage is a 360 LED wraparound. And so what you can do is you can send out a B unit to go shoot, for example, a desert terrain in 360 and then you impose it through the led screens these super super high def led screens that then to create the environment for the actors to operate against this is sort of an alternative to um more of the green screen effect that you you might have seen in you know in you know all the marvel films and things of that nature is this similar to like um like i have an led tv and it uh oled is the technology where kind of behind the pixels is an array of LEDs that actually cast uh, like a lot of light. Uh, so you, you yes. could, you could light a scene uh, with, um, with the image basically. And it would have, an yeah, exactly. So for example, you can place the sun where you want to place it digitally and it emits the, the, the right amount of light so that you're not color correcting so much in post. You can actually create it live you know, on stage. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. I got one of those LED another, TVs and like, uh, we pretty much have to shut the windows when we watch it. Cause it just lights up the whole backyard and, um, it, it's right. crazy. Yeah. Right. I mean, another show that you might not even think about using it that does is a, the series Atlanta, you know, which is a pretty grounded series, but almost all their driving shots are shot on 360 LED screens. Someone, some B unit goes up and gets some driving B roll. And then you put the actors in there and, so, which is my preference? I mean, I'm 
I'm of the sort of feeling that old school is always sort of you know, anything real tends to just feel more authentic. But, um, you know, I, I don't want to contradict the first point, which is that technology allows us to move at the speed of thought. And um, LEDs are not cheap. They're, they start at about 200000 a week. But um, if you can use them, then the, 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 your limitations are only bound by your imagination. So it's pretty cool. And it would be more cool to see how it advances and how it can be used in clever ways that don't just feel like a, a cheat. Luis asks, how do you keep horror movies fresh when it seems like it's all been done? Hmm. Um, <laughs> stay relevant. You know, look forward. We've talked about that a lot in the new year. Um, find new ways, new issues to bring up, new anxieties, new things to be afraid of. They will never go away. You have no shortage of phobias and fears and anxieties in any given time period. So stay relevant and, and maybe beyond staying relevant, anticipate where the puck is going and put something out there that's going to be an anxiety before it even is. Yeah, I don't know. It's it is difficult, though, man, because, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of things happening, not just like we've, we've talked about how cell phones and access to communication technology kind of nullify a lot of the dangerous situations that horror movies rely on when you can just call for help or call an Uber and get out of there um, at the same time we are moving into a more secular society where people aren't going to be as, you know, struck by a film about the devil possessing someone. Cause that's just a laughable concept to a lot of people now that the idea that the devil even exists. And when you have the supernatural horror films kind of heavily relying on that, you know, uh, theological, um, the, the theist worldview, I guess you would say where God, devil, you know, demons, angels, ghosts, all that stuff. Uh, right. It's like, as we start to move away from all that, it, it is getting harder to tell stories, I would say in the, in the horror way. But um, I think there's, there's things you can do, you know, that, that film that you, uh, that you, you recommended a while back. What was the one where the, the woman locks herself in the house with the man and they're doing some kind of, spell to oh the a dark song dark song yeah that film it even had concepts of like angels and demons and i i thought i wouldn't care at all about this film but after a while there's something to the way they present this magic ritual that i'm going you know what i've never gone that far into a ritual you know months at a time with like weird behavior and all this stuff you got to do every day and and maybe there would be something to it who knows i mean you, you i think you just have to you have to take audiences where they haven't been before. I think that's that's the main right. thing, and it, it's going to get harder, but that's what we want. We want that challenge because we we learn exactly. new things. Exactly, exactly. Anonymous asks, "What band or artist would you like to see soundtrack a whole movie, horror movie, or otherwise?" Um, I've I've got a band I've been listening to a lot lately. Okay. Uh, that's called the Garden, and it's uh it's two twin cool. brothers from uh, Orange County, and they do um they're kind of all over the place. Like they do, they just, they do whatever kind of music they want to do. Some of their stuff is real synth driven. Some of it almost sounds like surf guitar. Some of it's real punk. Uh, they're on Epitaph records. So, you know, it's, which was back in my day, it was like the punk label. So I, I don't know, but yeah. uh, I think these two guys are just, they have so much fun with music and they, they have such a versatile palette that they could, they could probably put together a pretty wicked soundtrack for a lot of different kinds of films. Sounds really cool. I, um, I'm going to go with a band called Cold World, sort of an atmospheric black metal band. 
um, because of because of exactly that the even though they're playing black metal, it has a, such this um, this landscape of sound. It's so atmospheric and dark and moody, and it'd be really interesting to see what someone could do with that kind of mindset, where they create these sweeping landscape sonic landscapes. You know, I think especially for in the world of horror or like a dark psychological thriller, that could be really engaging. And then um, I just picked up the video game Devil May Cry, which as I I've not played it yet, but as I understand it was the soundtrack was done by Combi Christ. And apparently it's killer. Have you have you played this yet? I mean, I've I played like all of the Devil May Cry games, but I think you you don't have the newest one though. You're talking about I have one through three. You have one through three, yeah. So yeah, those are really good. Yeah, they had great soundtracks. Yes. Man. it's a lot of fun. Yeah, whenever the uh, so, fights start and that music turns on, it gets pretty amped. Yeah, and I got the opportunity to see Comedy Christ uh, in in Prague this past year, and they're they're a hell of a live band as well. So just this intense driving like. We talk about high octane with our action films. Like these guys are that exactly. So uh, maybe even maybe even soundtracking a Devil May Cry movie. Who knows? That would be kind of cool. I think. Yeah. Hey, uh, there's another group called Haland. That's um, I think is that right? Am I saying that right? Haland. Uh, let me check on that. But they they're they're going to be soundtracking the new um, Hellblade game. Uh, oh, sweet. Uh, Sin was sacrifice. Uh, Haland. I'm sorry. And um, they're a. Uh, kind of like a Scandinavian percussion and vocal group. Oh, yeah. I saw them, too, at the same festival. Oh, you've seen them. Pretty incredible. They're That's amazing. Yeah. And, uh, man, if you haven't if you haven't yet, go out on YouTube and look up the trailer for uh, Hellblade 2, and um, you'll see the, uh, the what I'm talking about. I mean, this is – and it's just their music with, like, footage from the game, and, man, it's intense. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's going to be fun. And if you get an opportunity to see them live – I missed them when they came through Los Angeles, but I saw them this past summer at that same uh, that same brutal assault festival that I saw Combi Christ, and they're just the stage performance, the atmosphere. I mean, it's just it's super cool. So excited to see what they can do on uh, doing soundtracks. Yeah, it's gonna be good. So we got Combi Christ, The Garden, and uh, Heilung, uh, which would be uh, three really yeah. cool soundtracks for whatever project you got. Arsenic Star asks, "What's the most frustrating part about filming?" Ooh, what is the most frustrating part of filming? Sometimes, you know, a film is like any art project, you know, or if you, if you think back to high school, those those high school projects, and sometimes you just get assigned people to your group, and sometimes you get great people in your group, and sometimes you don't. And unfortunately, Matt, you might experience this also in different art realms, but oh, yeah. like sometimes I feel like, when a when a uh, for example in this instance like art or, or film is, is an artistic endeavor it brings people to the group who don't treat it like a project that still has certain there's still a structure right if you're, even if you're building a house it's not about just hanging paintings it's about building the frame and and the sheet walk of the wall and I think that sometimes you get people who wander into film who I don't know where they. I don't know how they. They barely function to get dressed in the morning, much less operate on a scale like this. And those are tough. It's tough dealing with personalities like that, you know. Um, but that's also the challenge that you're faced with. And I think that, um, frustrating as it may be, you you you, I, you utilize a little uh, meditation, perhaps. Maybe sometimes at night you put on a video game and you enjoy some of California's best crop. Uh, whatever your your method of um, 
de-stressing may be, I think that uh, you just you have to employ that and you have to move on f- beyond that frustration and focus on the end goal, which is the final product as being something that you can be proud of. Yeah, I, I don't make films, but I sometimes I forget to turn my phone to right to you know back to landscape when I'm right. recording videos. That's frustrating. It's frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get the bars on the side. Yeah. It's not it's good. good. It's, it's newbie, very newbie. So thank you guys. We've had a fun episode. Um, we're really looking forward to seeing everyone participate in our tournament for the greatest action film of all time. And uh, remember to follow us on Twitter to follow my The Devil Went Down to Georgia series of tweets, which may or may not be consistent for the next <laughs> three months. And, uh, well, and the live broadcasts from Matt's yeah, wedding that's not as happening. he's giving his vows. <laughs> the Crazy Hand Wedding, Mr. and Mrs. Crazy oh, Hands please. coming February 2020. Um, and for all the upcoming content, there's a lot of cool stuff that's coming down the pipe. So we welcome you guys to join us. We thank you for joining us. And we look forward to your participation in our latest tournament. For Dave and Matt, this is the Grindhouse Podcast. Adios. You're listening to the Grindhouse Podcast on the Who Told You You Could Eat My Cookie Network. Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast and listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, and now on Spotify.